This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Okay, to be joined on Football CFB today by Craig Burley. Lots of people in the UK will know Craig from his time at Chelsea, Celtic, Derby, among a few others. But he's he's living out in the States now, doing a great job with ESPN FC. First of all, Craig, how are you? Yeah, I'm good, Callum. Thanks. Uh, as I said to you, I'm just just a little bit under the weather today, but we we uh, we, we should be we should be fine. I'll I'll, uh, I'll survive. There's people. People dealing with worse at the moment, as we as we know. Absolutely, it's a it's a it's a strange time, and and on that, what's it been like broadcasting from home rather than being in the studio with the boys? Yeah, it's been awkward, but uh, obviously, if you work for uh, one of the biggest sports broadcasters on the planet, which ESPN is, it's such a huge organization, but it just focuses on sports as well as the documentaries it does, and. And the films, but it's all revolving around sports, and so yeah, it's been difficult. There's only been uh, a few people being in campus uh, uh, in the last three months. Uh, we, I've actually heard today that that we're going to be some of us are going back in. I've been uh, I've been told that I'll be going back in to call some Serie A games and some FA Cup quarterfinals in the next couple of weeks. So we're kind of getting back to to. You know, some sort of normality with people filtering back, but you know, there's there's something like three or four thousand people work there at the campus. So clearly, clearly that was a concern. But working from home has been a bit awkward. We've we've all had sort of uh, cameras set up and uh, you know portable stuff, and some of us have been doing it on Skype, and some of us have been doing it on a a TVU. So it, it it's been different, but we've we've been churning out. Uh, We've been churning out shows seven days a week still, so it's not really stopped. It's it's not stopped, and, and it keeps on coming. And I've got to ask you the question: How did Stevie cope getting his portable camera set up? <laughs> well, somebody did it for him, clearly. But uh, <laughs> as you as you well know, he's he's, he's not a very uh, technical person. But uh, yeah, we were we have watched him. We've actually sometimes we can see him on the camera getting ready. And we've actually watched him go through all the the rigmarole of trying to get, you know, transmission from Bristol to get through to him and get the lighting on his his, his camera set up. And sometimes we actually we actually watch him do it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's he's coped. He's actually he's coped all right. But you know, we've all we've, we've all just got on with it, as I said, because we have global partners um, around the world because we broadcast the show, not just. In, in the US, but in the UK and Australia, New Zealand, India, China, Africa. So we're, we're in every continent. So our global partners have no content, really. And so we've tried to give them as much content as we, we can give them because obviously they've got no sports to talk about. So, uh, yeah, we've been pretty much... The producers have done a great job and the guys behind the scenes have done a great job. 
the APs and stuff, just getting everything ready and patched together so that we're at least giving people some some sort of content. And the content has has kept on coming. And and in terms of this situation, I mean, what's it been like for yourself out in the States? Because you're permanently living there now as well, which must be really nice. Yeah, sorry, I just stepped up to let my dog in there. I'm upstairs. Uh, yeah, I'm out here now. I've been here seven years, so and I'm, uh, you know, been through all the visa processes and stuff, which I was on for the first few years. Uh, you know, work visas and stuff, but I came off of that last year after a lengthy process uh, to get a green card. So I'm a permanent resident here now, uh, which is quite nice because it's uh, it means you don't get grilled whenever you come back into country. Now, now they say welcome home. Whereas previously they would say, what are you doing in America? I say, well, I live here. So, you know, it's just nice to, to not be going to apply for visas every, every, every couple of years and go through that process. Because people don't realize when you're applying for a visa in, in America to work, once you're in America, you have to leave the country to apply for the visa. Uh, or you have to go to a different country to, to, to obtain your visa and then you have to come back in. So, for example, we we had we went to Mexico City, which I know sounds strange, but we went to Mexico City in 2016 to renew our visa, and all these things are very complex. But you know, thankfully, ESPN have a, a great sort of legal department that that help with that because otherwise, it, it would just be a nightmare. Did Did you ever foresee yourself going to live in the states and working in the states when you when you were doing some of the punditry work over here in the UK? No, I didn't. I never, never envisaged it. Never thought about it. But what happened was, this, to cut a long story short, was uh, when Satanta Sports folded, uh, and I started working for ESPN UK. Uh, I started doing some work for the American side of the of the network as well, and and so, and it was actually through. Uh, and I know you've spoken to him. It was through a, you know a really good friend of mine and my colleague and Derek Ray. And Derek used to work on a show called Press Pass, which has been going for years, which is now ESPN FC. It was rebranded uh, uh, back in 2013. Uh, but I used to work for them. So Derek said to me, look, my boss in the States has seen you on ESPN in the UK and has asked me if you'd want to come on. So I said, yeah. So I used to record, If for those that have watched the show, You'll see Gab Marcotti coming on from London. You'll see Julian Laurence coming on from London. You'll see Sid Lowe, uh, who writes for The Guardian, coming on from Madrid, and so forth and so forth. So I used to do the show from London, maybe once a month or so. And really, that's how I forged the relationship with my current boss. And he asked me a few times tentatively if I'd ever move, but I never I never thought I would move. Uh, but then circumstances changed, and... You know, here I am. Absolutely, here you are. And in terms of the show, you probably... I always think it's funny when you're, you're doing a job in the show, you're all very good at it, there's, there's feisty debates, but you will get people that genuinely ask you the question and gab the question, do you dislike each other? But that couldn't be further from the truth. No. Uh, <laughs> there's not many networks that Gab and I haven't had an argument on or a debate. I've known Gab for a long, long time. Look, we sit in different sides of the fence on a lot of occasions, but but at the end of the day, that that's what makes the world go round. It's opinion. And, you know, I I don't believe for a second. There's nothing personal. And whenever something, whenever you're doing TV, when it gets personal, it's a problem. Uh, now, as you're probably aware, I've had 
have an argument with almost everybody on the show. But then at the end of it, I bo- we sort of brush myself down and, 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 and we walk away and we get on with it because it's not personal. It might be a bit of shouting sometimes, it might get heated, but it's not personal. And, you know, that that's how Gab and I have been for years. I'm like it with others on the show. That's what the show is. People always wonder about this. Sometimes people don't understand how the dynamic of television works because for a for a magazine show that's going out seven days a week in maybe 70 or 80 countries around the world, it hasn't got like clearly there's no live sports to talk about. We're not broadca- broadcasting a live event. So it has to have energy. It can't have four or five stooges sat there being very dull and boring because it has to have energy. And, and quite a lot of the time, uh, Callum, we we're we're we we are very repetitive because we are seven days a week and it does get frustrating. And we do talk about Messi and Ronaldo and Ballon d'Ors and some stuff. I think sometimes why why we why are we discussing this again? But 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 ultimately, there's only so much content out there you can talk about. So a, a show like ours has to have energy, has to be dynamic because it's not focusing on a live event. And sometimes people don't quite understand that's how that kind of show has to operate. And it's, it's been operating like that for, for nearly 20 years now. I mean, it's been rebranded, as I mentioned earlier, but the show's actually been going for, you know, 15, 20 years. And it's seen a, it's seen a cast of different characters, including Derek, who used to host it uh, many, many years ago. One of the arguments that has been watched so many times online, as you know, the expected goals, have you changed your mind on that at all? No, I never really had a strong opinion about it, to be honest. I I, I think I was more interested in shouting at Gab on that occasion <laughs> because because here we are in a Champions League, I can't remember where it was, quarter-final or semi-final, and he brings expected goals up. There's, there's, there's people have... I've did, did a couple of interviews with people about this. I, I, I love stats, but only the stats that, that are, are of interest. You know, and having played the game and having been involved with coaches who, who use uh, some stats, I can tell you now, most of them are nonsense. Some of them are not, but most of them are. You know, like the running stats, how far you run, or the passing stats. Passing stats, really, for a midfielder, for example, are, are a nonsense unless... You know, if Craig Burley wants to have 99.9 passing start when he was playing for Celtic, then I'm not trying to play the ball over the top for Henrik Larsson uh, to get him a goal because I'm passing it sideways to keep my passing stats up. And that's detrimental to a performance. So if you're just looking at stats alone, certain ones are not telling the true story because if I'm trying to play that killer pass five, ten times a game, maybe only one or two will come off. Uh, but those maybe one or two will get as a goal. So uh, I always say to people, uh, I like stats, I like good ones, but I don't want to be a pundit that drowns in a bath of stats because that's just not me doing my job properly. And that's, as you say, I think if they're used properly, it works, yes. but you know what it's like yourself, but you get certain people, not quite a lot in the show actually, that, that cling to stats, which in football you can't really solely judge football on metrics, in my opinion anyway. Well, the trouble is, and there's a lot of guys that come in to do co-coms now, and you know, there's a load of them, and 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 you know, you know, most of them think it's easy, and most of them think you just pick a mic up and 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 off you go, and they just completely obliterate 
the commentary because they never they never stop talking and you know people can see pictures at home a, a commentary and TV needs needs to breathe and some guys come in with a barrel load of stats now I know commentators not do I know I know Derek Ray does I know John Champion does I know Ian Crocker does uh, I know all these guys they come in some more than others you know Derek for example will have oh. A, He'll have two pages of stuff written down. And by the way, it's the smallest writing you've ever seen. I don't know how he sees it. John Champion won't have much written down, but he'll have some stuff written down. And then Ian Crocker and all the rest uh, of these super commentators, they'll all have their own thing. But but what I can tell you is, is, is more often than not, they don't even use 5% of them. They're, they're there as a, almost a comfort blanket. Uh, if... If the game's bad or if they've got a bad co-commentator next to them who can't help them out, they've got these stats to fall back on. What you don't want to have, in my opinion, is a co-commentator who pitches up on the gantry with preconceived ideas about what he's going to say and a barrel load of stats uh, lined up. Because quite frankly, that's not their job. Their job is to, to know what they're talking about, to understand the, the stories surrounding the games, but to call the game as they see it. And unfortunately now, some come loaded with, <laughs> with, with stats coming out their ears and can't wait to get it out there, uh, which I think for the listener is a, is, is a little bit frustrating. Something I've heard you talk about before, Craig, and I've got aspirations of one day breaking into football media, hopefully. And, and one of the things that intrigues me is you quite like the talk back from producers etc when you're on a show whereas for me who's obviously never had that I always think I wonder what that's like <laughs> yeah my boy the boys over here always say stop talking about that because we have a different system over here where they have a key talk back so we only hear who we need to hear if they press a button which you can have in England uh, but I, I when I went into TV uh, and I used to do a lot of TV and radio when I was still playing and I would advocate to, to guys now, if they want to learn the ropes, start doing it early. Some of them are not bothered because they've got so much money. But there are some who may be interested. And so I, I got started very early in my early 20s working for Capital Gold Radio in London, as it was then, with Jonathan Pierce and Sky Sports, uh, as I did uh, quite a bit of work for Sky when I was still playing. But I didn't have... I just went in there as a guest and I didn't really have any. And it wasn't until I started working full-time with Satanta that I really made a, a, an effort to learn the TV business and behind the, and primarily behind the scenes because I think it's, it's hugely important for anybody working in TV that they know how they're getting the pictures, they know how the graphics are getting there and they understand what everybody's job is. And I, I made it a goal of mine to understand how everything was put together and I was given my big break by a guy called Colin Davison, who was ex, you know, I think Grampian TV and STV, then Sky, then Satanta. He's now working out in, in uh, Doha for BN. But basically, I just got an ear, earpiece shoved in my ear and off I went. And, and I had to learn that. It. And it, it's tough. It's tough. And Colin was very old school. Uh, he would, you know, when there's live TV, there's lots of mistakes. The the, the, the art of it is, is, is don't, let the viewer see those, see those mistakes at home. But they're happening all the time. And when they're happening all the time, if you've got a producer or a director who gets angry, then you're going to hear a lot of shouting. And you're basically hearing people getting getting bollocked out uh, when, when you're doing the show. 
So it was Rob McLean and I used to do the Satanta Studio many years ago, which we did for hundreds of games. We would we would have three or four hours of just hearing everything. And it's a learning process. And it's not for everybody. But it really lets you understand how how the broadcast is going. And people said to me, Callum, why did you do that? And why do you do it? And I always say to them, if the present, if I'm working with Rob McLean, for example, or Ray Stubbs, who I was working with at ESPN UK, just to name two, if if there's a really big problem in the in, in the broadcast truck behind the scenes, and Rob's getting his ear filled with there's graphic problems, don't do this, don't go to this replay, don't go to this, then I can jump in and I can fill a gap, fill a void, and just talk and give him a breather till he gets his till he gets his you know himself his feet back on the ground and he he gets told what's happening. If if I don't have that as a partner for him, as the senior guy in the studio with the with the presenter, then he's on his own because only he understands what's going on behind the scenes. So it's an understanding of how the TV broadcast is going because, I, as I say, there's not been many broadcasts I've worked on where there's a four-hour live broadcast, including the game, where there's not where somebody doesn't make a mistake or there's a technical issue or there's a sound issue or something. And so it's an understanding of how it all works. But if you can't filter out somebody yelping in your ear while you're talking, then it's going to be something that's not for you. But we have it in commentaries as well. We have we have it in commentaries as well when we're doing uh, live commentaries at games. We have the match director in our ears, which is a big friend of mine for many years, Grant Phillips, who's one of the best in the business, uh, who works back in the UK with BT Sport. But he's... He, he's a very calm uh, match director, even when there's mistakes, unless it has to be really bad before he starts getting jumpy. But we would have him in our ear just directing the cameras and the replays and, and stuff. So it's, it's, intri- it's intriguing. It's a good thing. If somebody could come along and listen to it, uh, sitting next to how a commentary happens, I think they would be quite surprised how much <laughs> actually goes into it. Absolutely, and and in terms of your co-com style and your punditry style, it's not for everyone because a lot of people like to just maybe sometimes hear the same old cliches, but my personal preference is to have someone who, whether it's Lionel Messi or whether it's someone from Sheffield United, they'll get the same praise if they deserve it and they'll get the same criticism as as they deserve it, if they deserve it, sorry. And that's for me what you deliver. And, And yes, it can rub people up the wrong way, but I think you've got to be true to yourself and in my opinion, from the outside looking in, that's what you do with your co-coms and your punditry. Well, people always think there's a bias or there's an agenda, but there never is. And I have to be honest, there never is. Uh, and I know, uh, particularly in Scotland, you could, I could be telling you this every day for 20 years. And, and it's some people listening to, to this podcast will still not believe it because you're just not going to change their mind. Because there's always got to be an agenda. It's because a club let you go or because this happened... But but there's not, and and you just can't broadcast in that manner, uh, and and survive in broadcasting for that manner if you've got agendas against people. You've got to go to a game with a clear mind about what will happen during the broadcast. Is 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 what will happen. But I always say, if you want to be popular, broadcast. You know, punditry is not a popularity contest. I think if you're popular with fans, you're kind of not doing your job properly because. You're only, if a certain 
section of fans think you're great, it, it's because you're telling them what they want to hear. And I, I've never, you know, <laughs> there was a poll the other day on some guy run a poll on Twitter about most hated ex-Chelsea players now. And, uh, you know, it was a World Cup, uh, which I sailed through the group stages pretty easily, <laughs> seeing off quite a few. Uh, but I did lose in the final to Chris Sutton, apparently. But this is, and, and but somebody said they were only voting for Chris because they knew I wanted to win. Uh, and I never had a problem with Chelsea fans when, when I was there or just after I left. But surprise, surprise, the problem is since I went into broadcasting because I won't curry favour to former clubs. I don't, I don't see why I should. And I'm also not bothered about it. I couldn't care less, you know. So it's, it's, it's part of the job. Uh, some people do it differently. I've, I'm a great believer in doing it as strongly and as fairly as you can. And there are people out there that will say something to cause controversy. I always try... If I say something that's going to be controversial, my my tactic is that I have always should have something to back it up if somebody says to me, why? And it might not be right, but I always try and have a, a, a backup to say, well, this is why I think that. So I don't I don't say it, Callum, just to be controversial. I probably I say it because that's what I think. Well, for me, the proof in the pudding with that came when... when... Your uncle George was the Scotland manager, and I'm not going to yeah. draw you into talking about Scottish football, but that was a situation where lots of people would go, "Ah, he'll change now. He'll not criticise him." Whereas you were quite open when he was doing well, he got the praise. But if he wasn't, he got the same criticism as any other manager. Now people said to me, "Was that difficult?" And I said, "No, no, it wasn't because I shut that out, and he knew that. He knew that. In fact, I went to one of his boys' weddings many years ago." And uh, one of his two boys, Andrew, said to me, we were just wondering when you would stick the knife in and turn it. I said, well, it's my job. And so, you know, when things were bad, and they were bad, and it was, you know, it wasn't a great time for him, and he didn't make a very good job of it. And there are other factors of why that happened. But but he's not the only one. You know, it's been a graveyard for a lot of good coaches, uh, that Scotland job. But it, it had to be done. So, no... I didn't do it out of nastiness or, or badness. I did it because, as I said, why would I curry favour to anyone else? So if I'm not going to do it for a Walter Smith or an Alec McLeish or a Bertie Volks or a Gordon Strachan or, or Craig Levine, who I thought was a good man for the job at the time and deserved the job, but it didn't go well, why should I do it for George Burley? Because that just wouldn't, that just would, I wouldn't be doing my job right. I was paid to analyse the games. I wasn't paid to, to do a favour to a manager because he was family. And so that, that was never going to happen. So when I got the call, I was sitting at home one day and I'd, Colin Davison rang me, the pro senior producer at Sky Sports. And he says to me, I'm moving to Satanta. And I said, Sorry? Because I'd done a lot of Scottish football for him with David Proven, Ian Crocker, Charlie Nick. He'd, I'd done a gazillion gigs for him. And I'd done some work for Satanta when they used to be just an off-the-cuff, by-the-odd-game kind of company, which they were. And I'd done the odd game for them. Like, we'd only be now and again, they'd buy like a Celtic League Cup game or something. And he said, I'm going to Satanta. I said, what do you mean you're going to Satanta? He says, 
they've got venture capital behind them, big time, Goldman Sachs and others, and they've just bought, they've just won the rights for the uh, Scottish football, outright, outright. And I've gone there as the guy that's going to front it up. And I've said, fucking hell, you're leaving Sky. I says, and he says, yeah, because they're, 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 they've got big plans and I'm running the whole shebang for them and I want you to come and be the main guy in the studio. And I was like, Jesus Christ, there is a God. Because he says to me, what are you thinking about doing? I said, and his words to me, before I even gave him an answer, he used that old Scottish word again. He said, you're scunnered, aren't you? I said, yeah. He could tell. I said, I am. I'm fed up. So I said, who am I going to be working with? Because it was hugely important. He said, Rob McLean. I said, fantastic. I said, let's do the deal. And 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 I end up, uh, that's how I got into the broadcasting full time, primarily because I had done so much broadcasting when I was still playing that I forged those relationships and that he knew what kind of job I was going to do. But I didn't know he was going to go to Satanta. I didn't know they were going to win the rights and blah, blah, blah. And uh, we had a lot of good years with Rob McLean and others, Grant Phillips, who I've mentioned, and Martin Keegan, lots of people behind the scenes. Uh, and Satanta did a great job for a long time. People forget that. Uh, they really covered it a lot. Uh, I eventually moved off it onto the English Premier League. They took me off when they won the, the rights for the Premier League. And... Another big boss came in and Colin was left to cover the Scottish. And Andrew Holmett came in to run the English, who's now running uh, running all the Amazon stuff. And I went to work for them last year on a couple of games. Uh, and ESPN were very kind to allow me to do so. But he came in and run the, the Premier League stuff and other stuff for, for Satanta when they were going when they were really going big time. Uh, and they were really chasing after Sky. And I went to work with John Champion as the main co-commentator. In fact, it was 23 games with John and 23 games with Ian Crocker. So I got all 46 games of their two packages, but I was splitting it with John Champion and splitting it with Ian Crocker. You know, I've known Ian for 20 years. Uh, great friends of mine. There was people like Steve Bauer were there, Angus Scott, uh, you know, Rebecca. It was just so many good people there. Uh, and so eventually I moved off the Scottish and Terry Butcher and John Hartson replaced me in that uh, because I could, I, and, and, to start with, I was doing both, Callum. I was trying to cover the English games and the Scottish game for them. I couldn't do everyone because some of the games were on the same day, but I was trying to do both gigs and then it got to a point, they just took me took me completely off uh, the Scottish and put me on the, the, the Premier League, uh, which, you know, whether people like it or not, is, is you know, it's the, it's the league that you want to be covering because it's, it's, it's the jewel in their crown. Uh, and we had a great team there, you know, uh, Steve McManaman, uh, uh, Les Ferdinand, Tim Sherwood, uh, Emmanuel Petit, there was others, there was lots of people. It was just, and John Champion and, and Crocs, who I worked with a lot. I loved doing the co-coms, I learned a lot, uh, but I was given that gig. And it was unfortunate when the financial crisis came along, that venture capital uh, got nervous and we didn't get enough packages to be able to, to sustain the company and that was extremely disappointing because a lot of that good work went went down basically down the drain in a day which was which everybody just lost their jobs which was uh, was a tough was a tough few weeks in terms of your career we've, we started the conversation talking about your life stateside we've talked about your playing career both international and club level 
in terms of the future for you, Craig, very happy in America, very happy ESPN, and hoping to continue with the Amazon uh, games as well when they're hopefully back. Yeah, I mean, they offered me, a, they gave me a couple of games because, you know, my boss remembers, uh, you know, um, you know, I hear it all. People, you know, people don't realise at the time, you know, uh, the commentary team at Satanta at one point was seen to be, no, I, I couldn't say it without sounding uh, as if we're just. But we're a good. Put it one way. We're a good people. While supporter, while some supporters will get cranky about what you say and don't understand broadcasting, you, I, you always, I appreciate what my peers think of me, and I've had many of them that have. So I know when I'm doing a good job and not a good job because I know what my peers think. Uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of good people. You know, and 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 BBC Radio and Five Live with Mark Pugatch and others, uh, uh, champion. You know, Bauer Drury. Uh, I the Amazon stuff was just a little bonus last year. Technically, I shouldn't have been doing it because I'm a full time employee here. Uh, but my employers allowed me to, as well as they allowed John Champion to, who's over here now. Uh, and so that was just a little bonus. Uh, and I and I enjoyed working for them. In fact, I did. I did the first game I did, I did it with Ian Dark, uh, who's uh, a colleague of mine here at ESPN. Uh, has been for years, and he's a lovely guy. Uh, very funny. And I did the second one with Adam, Adam Summerton, who's a young guy making his way in commentary and doing a good job, uh, but I hadn't met him before. But th- those were just a bonus. Uh, in terms of, you know, unless something else changes, I don't see it changing here. Uh the lifestyle is great. It might not seem that from <laughs> watching the news and all everything that's gone on, but it's pretty rural where we are. Uh, but I've been lucky. But w- but when the Satanta thing folded, I had to go back to basics, and that was the difficult thing. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I'm here now because I'm here now, and I'm not travelling really a lot. I mean, I go to the odd Champions League final, I go to the odd FA Cup final, they send me. But generally, I'm working. Uh, our campus is 20 minutes from where I live, and our studios are on campus, and and so I'm there and back in the afternoon because we record or go live on our show between four and six o'clock. So I get every morning to myself so I can play golf with Stevie or, or whoever, and I, and I drive there and I do it and I come back because when Satanta folded, my contract I had a we all had a really Satanta paid us all well. But I was only doing like 60 days a year. And so I had loads of free time. But because Satanta were paying us well and, and, and we were contracted to them, they wanted us to be exclusive to them. So I told BBC Five Live and others that I couldn't work for them anymore, which they were fine about. But when Satanta folded, we had a lot of us had to backtrack. And fortunately, I had such a good relationship with most people. So I started working for Five Live again, which was just a great plan. I mean, I, I worked with some, you know, I worked with Green and Ingham and, and, and John Murray and, and, and Ian Dennis, Conor McNamara, Darren Fletcher, Alex Bruce Ball, the list goes on. Nigel Adderley. Fantastic platform, Five Live. I had a great time working for them. And I, I got a lot of big games off them as well. So they were really good to me. And then I was working for ESPN UK when they, they, they started up. So I had a contract for about 75 days a year, uh, which was covering Scottish football. And then 
and then like Satanta, they moved me to the Premier League studio with Kevin Keegan and Ray Stubbs. So I was I was sort of doing a bit of both. But I was also working for something that people will not realise. There's something called uh, Premier League TV, P- PLTV. Have, have you heard of that? Premier League Productions? Yes. Yeah. Premier League Productions is, is now, and it started in 2010. I got a phone call from the guy who was in charge at the time to say, do, do you want to come and work for Premier League Productions? Because they're going to start doing programmes seven days a week and live studios around all the Premier League games for, uh, for their broadcast partners, for the Premier League's broadcast partners around the world. Now, people always get confused and they say, well, what does that mean? And I used to go and do commentary. So on a, on a Saturday, I worked for ESPN studio. And then on a Sunday, I would go to a Premier League game for the Premier League and IMG but I'm working on the world feed. Now, this confuses the hell out of people. They say, what, what do you mean? I say, well, I'm at... And I was quite lucky because they used to send me to the, to the big games. They call them the super feeds. And it'd be like Manchester Derby or Man U Liverpool or Arsenal Chelsea. And I'd go and work those games with... Generally, it would be uh, John Champion or Peter Drury. And what they are is, is for the broadcast partners around the world that don't have commentary teams at the games and people will say well, well why don't they just send the commentators well because like a, you know 150 countries can't send the commentators because there's not enough there's not enough room you know there's only you know you go to a game you'll have the sky commentary or the bt or whatever it is you have the radio commentary bbc Talksport or whatever it is you have local commentary uh, local radio you might have you know say it's arsenal chelsea you'll have the, the local the in-house tv then you might have some TV channels from you might have TV channel from Norway or Sweden or one from Germany, but but in the main, you know, Australia's not sending a TV, you know, they're not sending a commentary team for their for their channel that's taking the Premier League in Australia. New Zealand's not sending it, you know, Africa's not sending commentary teams and all these. So all the countries that are English speaking generally have to get their commentary for the Premier League and, and uh, for the Premier League games, and they get it through the Premier League and IMG. Who, uh, who hire people like me and Champion and Drury and others, and they we go to the games and we do the commentary for the world feed. Now, if you're in the UK, you're not hearing it, but everywhere around the world is getting that. And primarily, that's what I was doing. It's a great gig to have because you're going to some of the biggest games, but you're not getting all these nonces uh, on social media. Although I wasn't on at the time, you're not getting all these eggheads, you know, bombarding you about your shit commentary on a Saturday or a Sunday because they're not hearing it because it's going to the other countries. And so primarily I was doing that. And then I was doing, on a Monday, I was doing uh, like a, almost like a match of the day type thing we did in, in, for the Premier League. And it was it was Mark Pugac and it was myself. And sometimes it was Andy Townsend and sometimes it was other people. And we'd do a two-hour show looking back at all the Premier League games. They're all packaged. And then uh, that was live, going out to whatever country around the world. And so it was kind of like a, a, a delayed match of the day. Uh, and we'd do that. That was great. So I'd drive to London for that. Uh, so I'm already in London doing the, the, the Premier League games on a uh, Saturday. And I sometimes drive back to Nottingham. And then I'd go to Manchester on Sunday or I'd come back to London. So I'm doing a lot of that. And on a Wednesday, I used to work for Five Live uh, on a game because I didn't want to turn them down. And then on a Friday, I was back down at IMG for the Premier League doing a... a, a 
a, a look ahead to the to the weekend's action for the Premier League with it used to be with Alan Kirbishley and a presenter called John Dykes. So this is it's a great body of work. Don't get me wrong, and I love doing it. And I've got you know thousands and thousands of TV shows that we've done. But when you sit back and look at it, it's just travelling after travelling after travelling. And whilst the work's great, it just takes its toll on you. And in the end, it just took its toll. And so when I got the offer to come here, uh, I made the decision, Callum, to take it. And and it was a little awkward at first, not going to all these big games. But I'm kind of, I'm kind of used to it now. And ESPN, you know, they send me to, we have the rights for, previously the rights for the World Cup, but we have the rights for the Euros. So I was in France for five weeks in 2016 doing the studio. Uh, I was going to go to the Euros this summer, but it'll be next summer now. They send me to the Champions League. Uh, we have this. We, we've got a lot of football rights that we're acquiring at the moment, um, but we most of them we take as world feeds. So uh, it, there's still a lot of stuff going on, but I'm not I'm not travelling anywhere, anywhere like I was, it, it, and I'm not complaining about it. the travelling was great and the pay was great. Uh, but you had to work hard for it, and and you know it takes its toll family-wise when you're, you know, when you get in at nine o'clock at night and you're leaving again at seven o'clock in the morning to go back to London. That's all right for a day or two, but when you're doing that five to six days a week, it it, it you know it's, it's pretty tough. Well, the travelling, as you've said, it, it, it is is great as commentating and being a pundit on on the biggest games in football. Everyone forgets there's a human side to that and eventually it is going to take its toll. Before yeah. I let you... Before I, well, let I mean, you I was going to say, one of the things that I was lucky that came along during that period and I, I, is, is I, I was able to... Uh, I, I somehow, later on, got a gig for ITV Sport to cover the World Cup in South Africa in 2010. Uh, I also did the Euros for them in 2012. But 2010, and, and I end up, there's a great story. Well, it's not a great story, but uh, it was great for me. So I, I, this, I got a contract to do like something like 14 games because, and they said, right, so it's John Champion and you. So that was a commentary team. We were both at ESPN. So they were taking us on loan from ESPN because they had two commentary teams that were basically staff. That was Clive Tilsley and Andy Townsend and Pete Drury. And Jim Beglin, great guys. I mean, Andy's, I've got, all those guys are great. Andy was a teammate of mine at Chelsea. Uh, Jim Beglin, I think, I always tell Jim, great, great broadcaster, great, and Pete Drury's a great commentator, the lovely, lovely people. But they, did, they, needed, they needed a third commentary team. So that was John and I, because they'd remembered our, how we worked very well together, our bosses would say anyway, at, uh, at Satanta. And John and I are very similar in our thinking. We're, a great, we're great believers in not talking too much. We'll, we're great believers in letting the game breathe. And that's our style. And so we got the gig. So it was like, bloody brilliant this. So they were flying to South Africa. There was me, him, Mitch Price, the producer, and a sound technician. Uh, I think it was Mark Nichols, but sound technician. And then when we got there to South Africa, we were getting a fix, basically what you would call a fixer, somebody would get everything sorted for us more there and that was a guy called uh, Nick who I'm still in touch with now what's his surname bloody hell Nick Winfield he took a look he'd taken like a six week sabbatical from work 
to travel around with us. So he's basically he's basically the guy that made sure we had the hotel, made sure where the van was parked, get every, all the, getting all the stuff on the vans and getting us to the games, getting parked, and also we had a security guard. And every every team had one of these, and we had we had all the buzzers and all that. That if you got in trouble, there was a security base would come and get you and all that. We, listen, we never needed any of that, but for insurance purposes, because some and South Africa is a wonderful country. I've not not had the chance to go back, but I go back in a heartbeat. Lovely. If anybody ever gets a chance to go there, go. But you do have to be careful in certain parts. There's not a doubt about that. And when you're traveling about in vans and stuff, as we were sometimes, you had to have security. So we had this security team. We had this full team of six that we traveled with for a month. And it was absolutely brilliant. We had... I'd never seen South Africa like this. We basically were in Cape... We arrived in Cape Town, flew from London. ITV were great. Everything was business. and It was just magnificent. And we arrived in Cape Town, stayed for a couple of nights, sampled all the culture. Then we did a game... The first night we did a game or whatever it was, John and I, and then next morning we'd fly to another place, stay for a day or two, whatever it was, do the game, fly to another place, do the game, drive to a place if it was drivable. That's all we did for a month. Port Elizabeth, we seemed to spend a lot of time in. Nelspruit and Paula Kwani in the north. <clears throat> uh, we spent a bit of time in Durban. We, uh, I mean, John, John and I's first game live on ITV was Greece, South Korea. And I was, I was thinking, Jesus Christ, how are we going to get all this right? You know, Papa, the, the, the centre-halves for Greece were Papas Tatopoulos and Papadopoulos. I thought, oh, this is going to be a nightmare. You know, just trying to say the names and stuff. So, uh, But it worked out all right. And, you know, we travelled around doing games. We, you know, ate out and we sampled hospitality. If we didn't stay in a hotel, we stayed in a guest house. Uh, it was just, you know, but things were lax in South Africa. Put it one way, one of the times flying from Nelspruit or wherever it was, Paul Lakwani back to, we're going to fly back to Joburg, and this is no word of a lie. I checked in, and I'm walking away from the check-in, and I look at the ticket, and my boarding pass was of a very famous person in the British media who's not involved in soccer. <laughs> Danny Baker. <laughs> wow. Danny Baker. I've checked in, gave them my passport, and they gave me a boarding pass that said Danny Baker. I looked over, and I saw Danny Baker, because the, ho- the check-in was busy. I saw Danny Baker, about, by the way, at that time in the morning, looked as if he'd been dragged through a hedge. And I saw Danny about 30 yards away, and I went over. I says, Danny, I know I'm looking a bit rough these days. I says, but they've just given me your ticket. And it was like, I don't know if he had my ticket and I had his, but I definitely had his. And I thought to myself, from a security standpoint, let's just say, it was a little worrying when they were, it was like shelling peas. You were just giving your passport and they're just giving you any of these old freaking. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Have, 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 have Jimmy Bloggs, bloody. Just get on the plane. And so I, I was like, my God, that was. Uh, that was. 
that was what it was like over there. But it was marvelous. It was unbelievable. And we did some we did some really good games. We, we stayed in some strange places. We stayed up in Paul and Quanet, a place called Hippo Hollow, and uh, it it meant what it said. And it was like it was like outside. They were they were like they were like huts, right? That's what we stayed in, like huts. And uh, it was chilly. It was playing. John and I were doing chilly the next day, and so we're at the bar as normal the night before a game, right? Drinking away, and John says, "I think we need to go to bed." I says, "John, we're commentating the next day. We're not playing." So he said, "Well, I'm going to call it a night now, anyway." So he calls it a night. Wasn't even late. So I'm talking to these Chilean people at the bar. There was loads of them. They're all Chilean supporters, and they start talking to me about the team, Chilean team. So I calls John. I said, yeah, John, we're getting, it's telling me about, they're giving us some good info here. <laughs> it was all bollocks. And and next thing you know, Champion's running back from his hut with a clipboard. And we're in this bar and we're, we're like grilling like this dozen pissed up Chilean fans about what their team's going to be the next day. Because we think, even though we've done our homework, we've both done our homework, but they've been following them. So... The guys say, no, no, he's not going to play. He's not going to play. He's going to play. The manager's going to change it because in the Chilean... And so John's writing all this down, right? And I'm kind of like... I'm drinking my glass of red wine. I'm going... And John, what he's like, been Mr. Serious. Yes, okay. And he's going to play? And what do you think he's going to... And he's going to... So John writes all this down. And, uh, of course, the next day we get to the team. So it's all bollocks. You know what I mean? And... Uh, the game was that bad that I actually brought it up in the commentary that 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 we had got all our team news off some pissed up Chilean fans. Or don't, I didn't use that terminology because we were on like ITV Live. But I, I left my mobile in the in, in the bar that night. I went back to the hut and I woke up like like one in the morning and I'm like, where's my fucking phone? Because right? ITV had given us phones. It was the ITV phone. They'd given us phones that we could keep in touch proper, like, internally. And if there were any problems, you pressed this button. It wasn't like today now with all the iPhones and all that. It was a bit more, you know, archaic. And I left my phone, so I just couldn't find my phone. So I comes out this hut, and it's pitch black, Callum, and I'm now walking back towards this reception, right? And I can hear all these noises, right, and fucking... There's freaking hippos and bears walking about and all that, and I think <laughs> I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get freaking eaten before the game tomorrow morning. I was absolutely cacking it, and it was like it was just surreal. But these are the, you know, the, we experienced it. There was, that, that's what it was like, and uh, South Africa was such a great experience, and and I was quite lucky because we were down to do a set amount of games. And we're all crisscrossing the country. You know, we, we could arrive in Polokwane or, say, Durban, and Jim Beglin and Peter Drury could be leaving because they've just done a game there, but they're leaving to go to maybe where we've just came from. Which I know it sounds strange, but that's how the games were sort of divvied up. Certain commentators did it. For, like, for example, you know, Clive and Andy did all the England games. So they had to follow them around. Uh but I was quite lucky because I, I, I did, by their eyes, it seemed I did... Well, I got a phone call to say, Craig, we want you to do the World Cup quarterfinal with Pete Drury. It was Brazil-Holland. Now, I wasn't scheduled to do it on my 
contract that I'd gotten, because John and I had like 14 games or whatever it was, and then we were coming home. And John, who used to be XITV, he worked there for many a year, said to me, well, that's them telling you they, they really like the job that you've done. And I was like, oh, that's really nice. So they flew me to uh, whatever that uh, quarterfinal was. I can't remember because we travelled so much. They flew me, I flew on my own to, to meet Pete Drury's squad of, of people. Uh, and then John and, and my crew, they had a day off. So they went up Table Mountain. They went on a wine tasting thing and all because I was getting all these photos of them t- drinking wine while I was off. Uh, but I was lucky. So I'm, 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 I've got a World Cup quarterfinal. Not only that, I'm working with Pete Drury, who, who, I, did, who I used to work with on uh, uh, World Feeds for the Premier League. And not only is he a good commentator, like Champion and the rest of them, he's one of the nicest men on the planet. Uh, and so that was a privilege for me to go in and do that. Uh, and, you know, ultimately Holland won, Holland won the game. But there's a lot going on when you go to a World Cup. I mean, it's just, you know, there's probably a couple of hundred commentary booths all sat around because this is a time when there are world feed commentators, but it's but there's not as many because most of the countries send their own commentary teams for, for, for competitions like a World Cup. So every stadium has to be set up for like hundreds of commentary, uh, what do you call it, um, the TVs, like a, what do you call it? I can't even remember. Or little uh, slanted TVs that, that are, you know, they take to watch the replay. So there's just hundreds of them. So it's a big shebang. <clears throat> and so that was great. Uh, and then I was going home. So we had a, we were all flying home the next day, or whatever it was. Uh, I flew back to meet Champion. And then we were scheduled to fly back from Cape Town. So we had a night out. We're all hanging as normal. Said goodbye to our South African friends. And we're all flying back to London. And as I say, we'd we'd had a good night, put it that way, the night before. So the flight wasn't the best flight going back out. So I get home. And uh, I was only home for like a day or two. And I brought, remember those Vivazellas that they all used to play during that World Cup that made that stupid, made the noises. Brought all the vivas pain in the ass because when they're outside your hotel at night in South Africa, you couldn't get to sleep. I brought the vivazellas home for the kids and all that, blah, 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 all that nonsense. So I'm back, but the kids are still at school. So I get a phone call from, I think it was Annie, one of the ladies at ITV. I get a phone call about two days back. I say, Craig, are you, are you going on vacation soon? And I said, well, no, because the kids are still at school for a few weeks. They went, do you want to come back? Would you come back out to South Africa? I mean, bear in mind, it's not like flying to Spain, you know, albeit it's business class, it's not, but it's still, you know, it's a fair trek. And I've almost just got back. And then I had the car ride from London and they said, would you come back out? I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, Jim Beglin is taken ill. And Jim was down to do the World Cup final because they were putting Andy back in the studio. So it was going to be Jim and Clive Tilsley. They said, Jim is taken ill. And unbeknown to me, it wasn't, you know, I say serious. He was he was in his bed, he couldn't get out. It was, he hadn't taken a heart attack or anything. But I think he had some bouts of vertigo. 
and I've not had it, and I don't know if anybody else has, but apparently it just comes on like from the traveling or whatever, and it can just hit you. And apparently, you, you it's like you just can't get out of bed. You just, it's like you can't stand up. And I, I think I'm not doing Jim a disservice because he's a good friend. I think that's what it was. Jim had all of a sudden it just hit him. And so they phoned me and he says, look, come back out. You're definitely doing the third, fourth place playoff in Port Elizabeth. You're definitely doing that. 100%. And it looks like you're going to be doing the final. So you can get on a flight. So we'll get you to London again to Heathrow. You get a flight to Joburg, catch a connection to Port Elizabeth. And you go back to Big Gail's guest house. This was this guest house I'd stayed at, like, because we always seem to be in Port Elizabeth. And we used to stay at this family's, this guest house, and we called the lady Big Gail for obvious reasons. But she was a lovely lady, but she was quite scary. Uh, she used to give you multiple choice for breakfast and that in the morning. And if you hadn't, but if you hadn't filled it in, she used to come looking for you. You know, it was like, <laughs> you know, John Champion one time was in his room ill, got about the food poisoning, couldn't get out of his room. She was banging on his door to get his uh, breakfast order for the next morning. We were like, Gail, he's dying in there, right? Whether he has a yogurt or not in the morning, he's not bothered. So that's what she was like. So I ended up back there again. And uh, they phoned me. They phoned me when I got there. So I'm, do- I'm doing Germany Uruguay on the Saturday night with Pete Drury again uh, for the third, fourth place game, which is, you know, doing the commentary on it. It's a big game still. I know it's not seen as I know why people say, why did they bother playing it and all that? And well, whatever. But, you know, so I'm back there doing that game. And, and so I got the phone call. Uh, before the game, I got the phone call to say, Jim's not going to make it. You're doing the final. Uh, so we need to fly you in the morning, Sunday morning, back to Joburg. You're going to be co-coming the final with Clive, Clive Tilsley. Now, for anybody that's in the business, you never travel you never travel in the morning of a game or, or on the day of a game, particularly if it involves a flight. You only do it if it's like an hour in the car for obvious reasons. If something happens, you don't get there, you're screwed. But we had no choice because the, the third, fourth game was a Saturday night and the, cup final, the World Cup final was in Joburg on a Sunday, the next day. So we had no choice. Uh, so I did the game with uh, Peter, which was a great, uh, great game to do. Then we had a few beers and a meal, as we always did, with the guys that we worked with. And then I left them; they were going home, and I was going to the airport to fly to Joburg. But I was really worried because I got to Joburg, I, so I got to Port Elizabeth Airport, and and there was that many people. I mean, thousands more than it would normally be. And now, guess what they were doing? All going to freaking Joburg for the World Cup final. And some flights were not taken off. And some flights were getting delayed because this airport can cope with that kind of, hasn't got the logistics and the mechanics to cope with that amount of people at once because it doesn't normally have that. But every man and his dog was trying to get to Joburg. And I'm thinking, freaking hell. This, I'm not, this flight's not going to be, I'm not going to get there. And I was literally shitting myself. I was on the phone to ITV saying, listen, I mean, they would have caught because, you know, what they're taking a guy out of the studio probably Andy, and Andy would have did the co-coms. So they'd have, been, they'd have been okay, but they wanted to keep Andy in the studio because they they preferred them in there. And so that's the whole reason they wanted me to go. But I was really worried, but I did get there in plenty of time. 
uh, I went back in and <laughs> the IATB were, oh, welcome back and blah, blah, blah. And went up to, eventually up to the gantry with Clive or the, whatever it is and were monitors and, and did the World Cup. For, so, you know, ended up doing the World Cup final for ITV from, from Jim taking on well. And I called Jim. I called Jim on the Saturday night and Jim was on his way back starting to make inroads going back to, to England. And I called him and I said, Jim, he was feeling a bit better by this time, but not well enough to do a game. But he was feeling well enough, just a bit well enough to get on a plane. And I called him and I said, Jim, I'm really sorry. I said, I'm really sorry. I said, this is your gig. You're ITV staff. And I'm really sorry you're unwell. I said, you and I know in this business, there's backstabbers coming out your ears. I said, but I'm not one of them. I said, and I feel for you. I really feel for you, mate. And he said, Craig, don't worry about it. He said, it is what it is. I've just taken unwell and I can't do it. And I wish you all the best. And from that day, I've always got on really well with Jim Beglin. And I've always, I always admire how he does his co-commentary, but I admire him as a person. And I just felt I had to phone him because I wasn't, whilst I was absolutely delighted to get the gig, I was disappointed for him. Because can you imagine? And it wasn't long after that he left ITV in not very nice circumstances. But can you imagine? For a co-commentator, for a broadcaster, you know, it's like playing the World Cup final for a broadcaster that's doing the World Cup final. And here was Jim's gig, and he took on well at, at the most horrendous time. And he was screwed, and I ended up getting it. By default, but because I'd done a good job, I and mean, if I'd done a shit job for ITV, that people always say, you're a shit commentator, you're a shit this, you're a shit that. People just don't understand broadcasting. If you do a bad job for broadcasters, they just don't have you back. And I was fortunate that they thought I did a good enough job, I went back. And I'd never worked with Clive before, so they worked, the, the dynamics of working with a different commentator, particularly in a World Cup final, was 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 added to the difficulty because you get a rapport with people, it's like every other business. And Clive's a good guy, but I, I just found working with him for me was a little bit more difficult than it was working with Peter and working with John and Crocs and Derek because he's got a different way of doing stuff. Uh, and it wasn't a great game, it was a crap final. Uh, the one thing I remember is Nelson Mandela came out onto the field before the game when the floodlights were all dim. He, he came out in a cart and Clive got very emotional. You know, I think he started crying, he had a tear in his eyes. I didn't because I'm not a very emotional person in, in that sense. But I did go to Robben Island off the coast of Cape Town where he had been held captive for like 20 years and I saw his cell and where he'd been kept and all the prisoners and I went and did a tour there and that was that was something to see because, you know, what that what that guy and others had been through was, was quite incredible. And you could see the beach in Cape Town from, from, from Robben Island where he was held in captivity. And it looked as if you could swim there, and I believe some had tried, but they'd been eaten by great white sharks because the, the water's full of them there. So if you didn't drown because of the, the tides, and you'd get eaten by the sharks. And you saw these where these people had, had Nelson Mandela and others had, had stayed for, I don't know the exact time frame, 20, 25 years, and they made them work in this these mines every day. And the cell was about, I don't know, 10 foot by 4 foot. I mean, they're tiny little things. And so to see what they'd gone through was, was it was, uh, you know, it was not emotional, but it was like you felt, 
he just felt for these people. So then when he came out in the field and Clive got emotional, uh, started crying a little bit, you know, before the game, and everybody reacts in different ways. So you're there and you're seeing, you know, Mandela was, and I, I remember talking to a lot of different South African people when I was over there, mainly our security people, in the, and saying to them, what is Nelson Mandela? Because I was, I didn't know, I said, is he loved by everybody in South Africa or just the black community? And they said, and the, the, the people we with were, were white. And they said, no, 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 no. They says, we, we treat him like a king. So that, you know, and I'm not telling anybody things that probably they don't know, or maybe they do or they don't, I don't know. But they all, and I'm sure there are people, that, but they treated him like a king. And when you saw him come out in the field, there was a lot of people got, you know, got emotional about it. And obviously he was very old and he was very frail. Uh, so I got back out and I saw all that and, and, I, and I did the final. And, you know, it's on the resume and nobody can sort of take it away from you. And that's how it came about. But I end up, I end up doing it and, you know, worked for ITV at the Euros in 2012. Uh, uh, and then came over here, so obviously I haven't worked for them since because, you know, I've been working for ESPN at the Euros and stuff. And, and uh, but great experience working for Tresto TV. So there's been a lot of, you know, I, I consider myself lucky, Callum. But then on the other hand, I've worked hard at it and you don't get, and there's been lots of other gigs that I've not mentioned for different companies. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I've, <laughs> I've even been, when it, we used to, it's called BN Sports now, but before it was called BN Sports, it was called Al Jazeera. Okay. Right? In Doha. They're a global company. I've even been out. Al Jazeera flew me out. Where did you hear this? They flew me out to, to Doha to do the, Premier, the League Cup in England. Arsenal, Chelsea, blah, blah, blah. So I get there. I'm on my own. So I get to the studio in, in Doha. I'm working with a, an Arabic presenter. And I think the guy, the other pundit was a Moroccan guy. I don't know. But where do you hear this? We're doing the show in Arabic. I'm, <laughs> oh, I, I'm from, no. We're doing it in Arabic. I'm from Kumna. Oh, fucking Arabic. I mean, I might as I might. They might have thought I was speaking it. I'm from Cumna. Right? I'm in Doha. Work. I'm doing. It. I said, "This is how it's going to work." We're doing it in Arabic. Now the presenter, and he's got all the gear on. I don't know what you call it. He's got all his robe on and his white, all the, all the gear. The other pundit, he's got a certain tie on like me, <laughs> right? But the presenter's got all the gear on with the headgear and, and everything. Phil Brunner. He speaks perfect English. He went to uh, law school in England or something. He speaks perfect English. He's a bit better, but the, but the show has to be in Arabic for the Arabic audience. So here's how it's going to work. And I'm thinking, thank, thank Christ they're paying me well for this because this is going to be a car crash, right? So I think, <laughs> so I think, I think, I think at least when I get back to the hotel, I can have a beer and relax. Well, wrong. Because the shows are that late at night because of the time difference from the the kickoffs in England to the time in Doha. When I get back to the hotel, the bar's closed. 
fucking hell. So this is a great trip, this, isn't it? What a trip this is. So here's how it's going to work. They're going to give you an interpreter in your ear. And whatever they're asking you in Arabic, you're going to get that interpreted. And when you talk back to them, they're going to fade your mic down a little bit. And the interpreter, whatever the interpreter says, is going to come out in Arabic. And I'm thinking, freaking hell, is this going to work? <laughs> so, so that's how we did it. For two days, we did shows in Arabic with an interpreter who was interpreting what I was saying uh, in Arabic. So unless he'd been to come to Karok and Lep before and understood me, I, he's got no idea what I'm saying. So, uh, and also, they were doing things like, hey, we're going to talk about Cesc Fabregas before the game. I'm saying, no, 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 no. Cesc Fabregas is not playing, he's injured. Well, it doesn't matter. We're going to talk about Cesc Fabregas anyway. And I'm like, oh, no, dude, we don't, we don't talk about players that are not playing. Anyway. So after the two days, the presenter guy comes up to me and he says, here, he said, you do realise, he said, whatever you were saying in English, he was interpreting it wrongly in Arabic. And I thought, oh, Jesus Christ, what? He could, he could have been saying anything. <laughs> He could have been saying, oh, Arsenal are shite, uh, Chelsea, uh, Chelsea bollocks to them. They, uh, uh, uh. He could have been saying anything. I don't know, because that's how we did it. Now, you talk about weird. Now, that's, that's, that's one of the weirdest things I've ever had, was going out to Doha and doing a programme in Arabic for Al Jazeera. Uh, but there you have it. There's probably, there's probably a few more of them, but, yeah, it's... You know, as I always say to people, I'm, I'm, uh, my boss here chased me for a while to come and eventually I just crumbled and made a decision to come. Big family decision, obviously, but at 41, I was at the time, you, like, you either take the jump or you don't. And I had to make a decision. And they've looked after me. It's a huge company. Uh, you know, 4,000 people on, on our campus. There's 8,000 around the world. We broadcasting. You know, you've got ESPN Brazil, ESPN Argentina, ESPN Mexico, ESPN Caribbean. It's just ESPN Australia, ESPN India. People don't realise it's such a, a global company. It's owned by Disney, so that's our parent company. Uh, so there was a big decision to come out. It was continue with uh, a lot of good work in England with the Premier League, but a lot of travelling or take a really good deal which I negotiated in the end because they wanted me to come and come here and give my family a choice to taste a different lifestyle a different culture and that was never going to be easy because new schools new people new friends uh, so everybody had to adapt it's easy for me because I can go to work I can, I can meet people I can see people and I can go and play golf it's always difficult for family but Touch wood, everybody's got on with things and they've met, they've made new lives and met lots of people. My son's working, wife works, daughter, lots of friends at school, and uh, been through a process of visas. Everybody's got a green card now, so they can all work. And you know, signed a new five year deal in 2016 uh, at ESPN, uh, and I don't travel, so uh, which is which is good, so I'm thankful for that, and I'm working for a huge company, uh, and I enjoy the people that I work with, and 
you know, I'm still upsetting people, whether it's Americans or 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 what. But that's what I do, and you know, I'm not going to change. Uh, I, I I try and be fair, but I, I try and when people hire me, I try and give them the best bang for their buck, and I don't believe in taking money from broadcasters like a lot of people do now, and particularly in England and Scotland. But I'm generalising a little bit. But I don't. I, I have no time for people that take the take the take the, the the dollar from the broadcasters and they turn up and say, "Well, I can't talk about that team because I can't talk about him because I've got a friend there, or I used to play for Man United, and I used to be, and I'm maybe going to be an ambassador there because it shines through on broadcast. It shines through like a Belisha beacon. The people that 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 want to go, you know, they, I call them the handshakers, the, pa- the, back, the, the back slappers, because when they want to go to a game, they want to get the back slapped. And they want to go to Old Trafford and Highbury uh, or the Emirates and, and Celtic Park and Ibrooks and, and all these big stadiums. They want to go there and get the back slapped because they're saying nice things. But that's not what you're getting paid for. And I see a lot of it now. And I always say to them, listen, if people are complaining to me, I say, go watch the club channels. If that's the content you want, go watch the club channels because it's propaganda. <laughs> I don't get paid for propaganda. I get paid to do my job. Now, whether you agree with my opinion or not, it's a different matter. But I have to give my, 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 my network, my employers, I have to give them the bang for the buck. And the bang for the buck is not to sit on my hands and say, well, I think Chelsea would, you know, at the start of last season, well, Chelsea haven't signed anybody because they've got a transfer ban. They've got a manager who's who's only managed for a year in Frank Lampard. Yeah, but I think they'll beat Liverpool in Man City because that's bollocks. And I'm sorry, apart from those that want pandered to, everyone else knows it's bollocks. So I can't, and, and, and listen... The world is full now of people in my job who want to try and pull the wool over people's eyes, right? Can't say that about that. You know, you know the amount of times I've come off air over the years with different people and have said, well, I wanted to say that, but I couldn't, and I wanted to say that, and I couldn't, and I'm like, well, don't come on. Don't come on. Do you know when you get the phone call to say, do you want to come and do that game? Say no, because you're just wasting everybody's time, and I can't be arsed with time wasters. And I can't be bothered with the people that think they know how to do this job. And, and I've seen them, and I hear other commentators talking about them behind their back. They, they put a set of headphones on in the gantry, and they pick a mic up, and they completely obliterate the commentary. And, and they just talk, 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 talk from the start to finish. And it's just a waffle. It's a waffle fest. And I know one guy, I won't mention his name, this is how shambolic some of it is now because producers, some of them are great but some of them don't take the time to tell people how to do their job better. I know one high-profile player who played for a, one of the biggest teams in England because I know this because the commentator that was working with him told me. He was sat in the green room for a network in England before a game. And this commentator went to get him and said, whatever his name was, come on, you need to come to the, 
because it was an off it was an off tube commentary from a booth, which is horrible. But that's another story. So come on, the game starting in 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 like half an hour, and this guy said, "Oh, I, oh, I thought I was doing the studio." They said, "No, no, you're doing the commentary." He said, "Oh, I, I, I didn't know," and they got to the uh, the booth, and they were using lip mics. And for those that don't know, you have sometimes you have a mic that's on a headset that is, we call it a wraparound, which comes around and it's 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 uh, attached to the headset, as you'll know. Other times, mainly in England, on a commentary for reasons that are more for effects and noise levels, they'll use what's called a lip mic, which is, is a little uh, long stick with a, a, a thing piece on the top of it that you hold to your top lip and you talk into. Well, this guy picked this up. And he said to the commentator, what do I do with this? That Where do I hold it? Do I hold it like... Uh, uh, do I hold it near my mouth or do I hold it like six inches from me? Where do I hold the mic? And I'm thinking, this is what we're dealing with now. It's a cattle market. It's not quality. It's a cattle market. And some of these people, they're churning out programmes and they don't give a toss. It's who can do it for... The, who can do the most for the cheapest... It's not broadcast quality, a lot of times, is going out the window. And they'll just get these players, these these guys in who think they know about punditry, or in this case, wasn't his fault, he just didn't know about punditry. They just get them in, they, they get them to do the game, and they throw them out again and they pay them. And then it's a revolving door. And they don't give an arse half the time, unless it's like a... a Unless it's a it's a big broadcast, most of the times they don't give an ass what 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 the production was right, what what it was like, and it's a cattle market. And unfortunately, when it becomes and I understand for some reasons it's like that is financial, and and that's understandable. But when you when you start going down that route, when the quality of the broadcast starts to drop, it becomes a mess. And it's only saved sometimes when you've got good people in there. And on this occasion, the commentator that was working on the game, luckily, was a guy that knows the ropes very well. And so he could save it. But that's the way the business is going. And we have lots of people that either don't want to do the job, don't understand the job, or just have no clue how to do the job. And I've heard lots of people... Uh, uh, get on a commentary and say... I mean, I heard John Hartson once. John's very experienced now. Uh, John's been doing it a long time now, but way back at the start, I remember we used to do Champions League for STV, Ian Crocker and myself, and I couldn't make a game. And it was... The uh, game was at Celtic Park. And so John stepped in. And John had been doing lots of studios and stuff. And John stepped in and did the commentary. And I know for a fact, and it's not it's no slight on John, because he turned to Ian Crocker after the game and he said, because Croc's a big friend of mine, he told me, he says, he said, John said to him, and John's a lovely fella, John said to Crocs after the game, bloody hell, he says, I didn't realise how hard that was. He said, he said, it's completely different from doing the studio. He said, he said, everything just goes so fast. And when you've got a really quick game, as that I'm sure that Celtic game was at home in the Champions League, when you've got a really quick game with replays flying in and out and the, everything happening so fast, it, it's difficult to grasp. And John's very experienced at it now. But when he first went in, it was like it was like a bus that hit him. I think he said, Jesus Christ, I didn't realise 
the co-coms, I didn't realise it was so hard and so technical. And most people don't. And when they go in and do it, they think it's a piece of cake. And and you you got to work at it. You got you got to work at it. And a lot of people have worked at it, and a lot of people haven't. And I think that's the big difference with people that have longevity and and, and the job I'm in is you've got to love the job, you've got to want to do the job, you've got to work at it, you've got to understand uh, the people that are behind the scenes that are making your job easier, and there's thousands of them, you've got to appreciate those people, and and you haven't got to look down to those people, because why should you? Because without them, the broadcast's not getting on air. And then you've got to deliver. And if you want to be in a popularity contest, and you want to be in a backslapping contest, and you want to be in next time I go to your ground, everybody's going to be my friend contest. You're not going to you're not going to do all of those things. And I just feel, and and I think and try to explain the way I do my job, Callum. I'm hoping that I make some people that are listening understand why I do it in the way I do it. Is is for all those reasons because I can't I can't do it any other way because I feel that's not the right way to do the job, because it is it's a job, it's a career. And that's, and I've been lucky because I've worked with a lot of good people. Uh, you know, the list is endless. And there's a lot of good people, there's a lot, because people don't realize how technical a TV show is. I've, <laughs> I've worked on TV, live TV shows that have been crashing and burning behind the scenes, trust me. And I mean, they've been crashing and burning Ah, but there's been there's been bodies flying out of galleries, you know. There's been graphics operators getting their heads chopped off and everything behind the scenes. But you, you, the, the the trick is, if you're sat at home, you don't see it and you don't know it. That's the trick because it happens almost every time, and it's quite funny now to look back on some of the things. Uh, but trust me, it's it's if, if somebody got a chance to go and sat, sit in a gallery with. 10 or 12 people and, 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 and how it all gets put together, uh, I think they would be quite surprised. They would, you know, they would be amazed at the effort and finances that go into to a live broadcast. Uh, the amount of people that are involved. Uh, you know, when you think about a game at home and, and you're seeing the pictures coming in, people don't realise, when you're seeing a live game, people, people can't quantify what goes into that. There's, you know, there's probably a hundred people at that game, you know, wiring it up technically, and then camera people, and then the directors and producers, and and then people bringing the replays and how fast they're bringing those replays. I've seen how these EVS boys scoop these replays up uh, in like two or three seconds, and it, they've had it, they've got it queued up for the director within two or three seconds. It's amazing. It's amazing how these guys do it. And that's why the best ones are all working at Sky and BT and whatever, because the best ones, the best ones have been the best ones for a while. But you go in a you go in an EVS truck, and 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 see how these guys quickly get a, get a, an amazing replay, get it into your house so in such a fast time. It, it's it, it, it's amazing, amazing skill, and you you have to realise as 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 a front of person camera that without that. You just can't do your job properly. That being said, it still doesn't stop you going in the truck uh, two hours before the broadcast, telling the guys. When I used to walk in and say, "Oh, I see we've got the Z squad today. 
and say, all the good EVS ops not available, must be working on a different game. And then they give you a pile of shit back. But it's a, it's, it, it gives you a rapport with these guys, you know, because you're going and talking to them. So they, they appreciate it. You know, knowing the camera people's names, knowing the first names and talking to them every week, they appreciate it. Uh, rather than just walking in thinking you're Charlie Big Potatoes and not talking to anybody. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like that. So it's it's getting to know all your crew, uh, and instead of thinking you're Billy Big Bollocks on the gantry. Oh, I'm TV. I'm Mr. Personality. Uh, well, well, yeah, you're the one that people sees and hears, but there's a lot of people behind the scenes doing a great job, and I, uh, I'm quite proud of of that's how I, that's how I go about it, and I'm never going to change. That's to, I, I love. I love the person. I love the worker. I love the guy in the street. I love the guy behind the scenes. Uh, the terrific people, uh, and there's good ones and bad ones like everything else. But you know, working in broadcasting, it's it's you see you see a, a multitude of different skill sets, and and you learn from it. And I've been lucky. I've learned from a lot of a lot of great people. I can't thank you enough, Craig, for your time this evening. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege for me to to hear the stories, not only of your, your playing career at both club and international, but also on the broadcasting side, which fascinates me as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was, you're going to have to uh, somehow divvy it up. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure how you... I'm not sure how you're going to do it. Uh, you can just call it the waffle fest. I'm talking about people people waffling on a broadcast, and I'm waffling here. So I apologise to that. I've had a dog a dog screeching a little bit, uh, as you can probably hear now. So uh, just I hope everything works out for you, and uh, I hope I've given a little bit of insight to, to the people that are going to listen about what goes on behind the scenes and, and how you get into those positions. And uh,